Welcome, adventurers. Many pickpockets and thieves exist in the Barata province, and the reward of their activities are not without their risks. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon Snare's hands worked quickly, senses on high alert. He listened for sound, any sound that might indicate someone was coming. Other than the hollow, ambient sound of the dank cell where he was, there was nothing. The cell belonged to a much larger series of naturally occurring caves that lie below the baron's opulent abode. If it wasn't for his gnomish eyes, Snare would have been working blind. He knew there was a lantern lit at the end of the passage where a narrow spiral staircase was, seventy paces or so north from his current location, the only light on this level. He also knew he was on the second to the lowest level in this soul-stealing jail. A ladder could be put through a hole on the south end of the passage to reach the lowest level, some sixty feet below. That ladder would end in a single chamber, irregularly shaped, roughly ten paces across. The floor there was littered with bones of many previous occupants. Residents of this chamber were put there to be broken or to die. The level where Snare now was contained five holds. Iron bars were fixed into the cave walls, floor, and roof to divide the space into various cells. One level above had ten similar cells, and eight more were on the level above that. The same type of narrow metal spiral staircase connected each of these levels. The uppermost level of the cave complex served as a makeshift guard post. This room contained a small wooden table and four chairs. Two small cupboards were shoved haphazardly against the irregular walls, the contents of which included sparse and moldy rations for the prisoners below, and a more than adequate supply of alcohol for the guards. A lantern hung from the chain bolted into the cavern's roof. The stairs that ascended from here led to a secret door in the manor's massive wine cellar. From there, one could make their way to the ground floor of the baron's estate. And, thought Snare, to freedom. His hands continued to move, unbraiding the strands of dark hair. Unplating the beard, Snare removed ornate silver rings at regular intervals, until at last he had collected them all. He stuffed the rings into a makeshift cloth pouch, he had fashioned from the dwarf's ragged shirt and tied the top tight. Gazing down upon the lifeless body, silent tears streamed down Snare's cheeks. Snare reached down, placing his hand upon the dwarf's chest, and then turned to make his way toward the cell door. The dirt streets were full of raucous and rowdy revelers. It was two days until Ember Night, and Mummer's Fair celebration of said holiday was unrivaled. People traveled from far and wide to descend upon the makeshift and ramshackle place that was part town, part traveling market. Except in this case, the location stayed the same, and those selling wares did the traveling to and from. Tents, 
selling almost any item or service that could be imagined in the known world and beyond, came to the fair for varying amounts of time. A few tents were, in fact, as old as some of the roughly constructed wood buildings of the main town. Canvas walls now faded and stained in places with black mold. Many argued that neater knife hands was the longest standing fixture of any tent or wood building in the fair, having been there for almost 15 years. Other tents appeared only occasionally, some no more than once. One merchant was said to have set up for just over a day before his entire operation went mysteriously missing. Though none knew for sure, it was said that Mummer's Fair started as an annual meeting of crime lords, master thieves, and top assassins. Supposedly, they met to set territories in which to operate, discuss new opportunities, and exchange information and goods. Whatever its origins, it was a lawless place, and the makeup of the modern-day population was much the same as its rumored beginnings. Other than the criminal element, the remainder of the population was made of those looking to buy or sell that which they couldn't get elsewhere, up to and including items that no one should possess. It went without saying that you did not question the source of goods bought and sold at the Mummer's Fair. Very few occupants were permanent, but instead it consisted of an ever-changing group of the desperate and the dangerous. Looking over this hovel of crime and need, built into the large rocks at the foot of the mountains, was the Baron's Manor. In contrast to the mess that was the Mummer's Fair, the Baron's Manor was a sprawling hunting lodge, built of the finest quality and craft. All one ever had do while at the fair was to look up to know who stood highest among thieves, highest among criminals. The Baron was the closest thing Mummer's Fair had to a lord and ruler. Though he did not own or even control all that went on within the ever-changing boundaries, there was little that transpired at the fair that he did not know of. Despite the absence of law, certain codes were expected to be upheld, certain courtesies extended to fellow professionals while operating within the market. These codes included the settling of disputes, which were to be handled between the parties directly involved. As can be imagined, agreements were not always reached in such cases, and this was where the Baron stepped in. He acted as a final arbiter in all disputes that cannot be personally settled within the Mummer's Fair. There was little the gods could do to help those that found themselves in such situations. The Baron's judgments were arbitrary and dependent upon his whim. Punishments tended to be cruel, and, often as not, both parties ended up much worse than before their dispute. Long-time residents knew to keep out of the Baron's notice, and those new to the market were always one step from folly. Sibo Saragrin Dundalhand fell into the later category, and had come to Mummer's Fair, swollen with Ember Knight visitors, to make some easy coin off the ignorant and the intoxicated. It was his second night at the fair, and he had already liberated almost two hundred gold from those not caring enough to secure their possessions from his nimble hands. Sibo wandered from pop-up tavern to pop-up tavern on the outskirts of the fair. He smiled and laughed, calling jovial greetings to other visitors, pretending to be intoxicated. He would bump into the drunk and the distracted, removing purses and jewelry during these brief brushes. When he grew bored of simple pickpocketing, 
he would find a group of revelers and insinuate himself into their table or circle. When the time was right, he would tell outrageous tales where he, a lowly gnome, was the slayer of dragons. At first, listeners were drawn in by the careful telling, then became dubious as the stories expanded to where none of average intelligence would believe the tale to be true. And then finally, uproarous laughter as Sibo moved the telling to some truly unbelievable and ridiculous ending, always finishing with a smile, a wink, and then a bow. He would often earn a few coins in the telling, but what his listeners did not know was he was watching the gathered crowd the entire time, picking out easy marks. Sitting on an impromptu bench made of a log just outside the firelight of the fair's edge, Sibo enjoyed a large tankard of ale. A well-earned break. With the population growing and two more days still until the wildest night of them all, he couldn't believe his good fortune, nor congratulate himself enough for his decision to come here. He would leave a rich gnome. Snare moved silently to the door. He paused for ten heartbeats, verifying that none were coming. All the jailers he had met to date had been human and brought lanterns when inspecting the cells, giving Snare the extra warning of light, beyond sound if need be. But just because he had only met humans to date did not mean he should not prepare for something different today. One of the many lessons Ford Beer had taught. No matter how much you study, Never believe you know all there is to know about a situation, because for as much as you know, it only takes one thing that you don't to kill you. Snare could still hear Ford Beer's stark voice in his head. Padding quietly out the cell door, he closed it, ponderously slow, so the rusty squeaks of protest were few. His hands shook from emotion, not nerves, as he slid the padlock back into place. There was an audible click, no more than the breaking of a small twig, and the lock snapped shut. A flush ran through Snare of embarrassment and failure. He could not believe he was unable to save him. Snare left his family at a young age, and his vagabond lifestyle had gathered him no friends to speak of. But staring back through the bars at the unmoving form of Ford Beer, there was more than a moment of time where Snare felt as if he would not leave that he would let himself back into the adjacent cell where he would lay down and wait for his own death. But as he stood, Ford Beer's voice came to him again. Listen, boy, giving up is good and well, but death will take us when she will. No need to rush into her arms. Besides, it only takes one thing that they don't know for us to find a way out. Snare had scowled at the time, and Ford Beer had barked the gravelly laugh. You pitch off, then. I plan to live until I ain't got no other option. Until I ain't got no other option, Snare repeated to himself in his head. He finally turned, as if pulling himself from mud. Two steps, and then he paused, looking into the empty cell next to Ford Beers, his home for almost two years. He bared his teeth, nose wrinkling in disgust, and then he continued, never to look back. Sibo pushed his way out of the tent flap 
and corrected his balance just a little too hard as he tried to stand still. Maybe that shot of whiskey with the second ale wasn't the best of ideas. But then again, why not? He lifted his face. Cerise was sinking in the northern sky. What a magical place this mummer's fair was. What a talented thief he was. Cinder truly smiled on him. Tonight alone, he had had to make his way back to the secret stash in the woods three different times. Sibo had not made a final tally yet, but he believed with the fifty or so gold he had in his pouch now, his haul for the last four days exceeded a thousand gold. Life was good. Soul would be up in about three bells. Though Sibo knew the celebration would continue until first light, he himself would head into the woods for a few bells of sleep before making his way from the fair. Maybe to Cumbershall, or maybe north for a change. It had been a long time since he had been north. Taking one last look at Cerise, Sibo whispered, Watch yourself, Cinder. I may come for your purse next year. And then with a wink, he started toward the edge of town, legs a little unsteady from drink, and not in farce this time. Ahead, just emerging from the woods and heading back into the fair, were a group of humanoids, all wearing decorative masks, as was traditional for the Ember Night celebration. A stout human with a rotund belly, expensive green clothing, and a fox mask walked amongst the ring of four others. Their arrangement clearly indicated that the four were guarding the fat man in the middle. Sibo smiled. A fox mask on Ember's night. The man certainly thought highly of himself. Probably some minor lord from Borgin, or maybe as far as Jemato. The purse at the lord's side bulged. It might hold a hundred gold or more by itself. One for the road. Sibo looked up at Cerise and winked. I accept your peace offering. He began to exaggerate his stumbling steps as he made his way toward the oncoming group. When he was just before the lead guards, he stumbled left away from them, and then quickly overcorrected right, passing in between them, bumping roughly into the lord a pace later. Sibo rolled away from the man, wobbled in place for a moment while slurring an apology. Sorry, Bellard. And then stumbled on past the rear guards. Assessing the weight of the purse under his cloak, a giddy feeling came to him. He had guessed wrong. There was closer to two hundred gold. Four more steps and he began to walk normally. Quietly, Sibo began to whistle a jaunty tune, just loud enough for him to hear. He would definitely be back next year. Sibo never heard the footsteps. One moment he was walking, the next his feet were lifted from the ground his tunic pulled tight around his neck. He was spun in midair. One of the guards held him aloft by the back of his shirt. The heavy man in green stepped closer until he was just before the dangling gnome. The other three guards closed in around him. Cold black eyes stared at Sibo through the holes in the fox mask. From behind, the guard that held him said, Cinder must truly hate you, friend. You couldn't have picked a worse purse to nab in all the fair. Will Snare escape the Baron's cruel captivity? Stay tuned next week for part two of The Fox and the Rabbit. <laughs>